Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. I'm Daniela, and this podcast is about my personal and also about a lot of other people's enthusiasm for art. Art can touch on all parts of life, and therefore we talk about all parts of life. I hope to get you on board and to tell you interesting stories you enjoy listening to. For international listeners, the podcast will be held mostly in English. We're recording via the internet, so please excuse any glitches and sound quality. Episode 72, recorded February 1, 2023. Welcome, my friend Gil Bonner, passionate collector of contemporary art with his own private museum, Sammlung Filara in Düsseldorf-Lingern. Gil is also head of the board of the Friends of Kunstpalast, which is the museum of the city of Düsseldorf, and he and his family support the arts, artists, and institutions in Germany as well as Israel. Hi, Gil. Very nice to have you. Hi, Danina. Nice to talk to you. Gil, we know each other quite well, and to me it really seems that art is your calling. Great parts of your life revolve around art, and your circle of friends is mainly people from the arts, artists, gallerists, collectors, museum people, etc. You were born in Düsseldorf. Your parents already collected art of the highest quality. How did it start for you personally then? How did you grow up and what was the spark that inspired your own collecting? Well, as you said, I grew up in a collector's family, which meant that I was taken to art fairs from a very early age. And being a normal teenager, I, I rebelled against it for a while, or I didn't rebel against it because I never rebelled against anything, really. I was a perfect child. Um, <laughs> insofar as I was never punctual, that was one of my rebel revelations. I don't know. What's the re <laughs> revolutions? Um, anyway, and I, I was more interested in music when I was growing up than I was in art. But of course, I was uh, indoctrinated in, some, in a certain way, and I was always going to museums. But I started collecting relatively late. Mm -hmm. I started collecting when I was already over 30, which was a mistake because I could have, I could have bought great things earlier. Why did it take you so long? Was that the rebellion? And why did it happen at all then? Because there are a lot of collecting families or parents where the children don't take it up for themselves. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to say. For me, really, to live without art is a loss. It's simply a thing that's missing. It's, if you want an intellectual decorum, and it's um, something that's absolutely necessary, I, I simply can't understand how people can live with nothing on their walls or with posters or whatever. You know, I mean, there can be good posters, but, but generally, I, I never understand. You know, they have amazing cars in the garage, and then they don't have anything on their walls. I simply think they're missing something in their life. Because art makes life better. You can't really say that, especially not as a simple statement like that. But for me, it, it's an essential part. Mm -hmm. It's like all beautiful things, basically, I would say. And that means I'm reducing art to beauty, which I don't. It goes deeper than that. Yeah, it goes deeper than that. But that's very difficult to explain. And one probably would need a psychologist to explain all of these things more than one would need a theorist about art. Yeah, but probably you as yourself, you feel your impulses, you feel what drives you, you know, what is the thing that makes you excited. So what made you then excited to, to buy this first piece of art and what, what was it actually? Well, my first piece of art that I bought was in a Spanish gallery 
and I forget the name of the artist again because my memory's uh, gone. I'm saying it's post-COVID. Yeah, COVID. That was COVID, yeah. sure. <laughs> COVID is everything that you want to blame. Yeah, I bought that because it was it was something I, I really, I was, you know, confused for a while. I wasn't really sure what I liked. Like I said, I missed I missed out on a lot of good stuff that I should have realized, but I didn't like Kippenberger. I was studying in Cologne just as Kippenberger had his high time there. And mm-hmm. that sort of went past me. And my first piece was sort of like a young, wild Spanish artist that was like a take on Cubism, but it wasn't really Cubism, of course, because it was Cubism was long past. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, but it looked like contemporary art. It looked like modern art, I would say. Yeah, and I liked it because I liked it. And I was happy to buy something because I, I was missing this element in my life. Oh, and what, what is that element? What does it provide you? I don't know, warmth maybe. Warmth, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that adds to life without being able to put a finger on it. But, you know, I mean... I enjoy being in a beautiful place and a beautiful place becomes for me all the more beautiful and all the more warm that way by having up mm. something that touches you, something that scratches you because it never has to be perfect. It always has to leave some kind of an itch, you know? Mm. In one interview, you said that it's not about decoration. It is not necessarily about at least superficial beauty that there is something deeper in it, but you couldn't put your finger on it. No, I think it's, it's all of the above. You know, it, mm-hmm. it is decoration, it is superficial beauty, but it's also a certain intellect that emanates from the work. And these things are extremely difficult to explain. On, but as far as I'm concerned, I would always say that you can discern good art from bad art, and you learn how to do that with time. And... What makes art good or not is extremely difficult to describe, but I would always say that people that do spend a lot of time with art would always discern the good from the bad. And if you put 10 people that have a similar background in the, separately in, a, in the same room with, I don't know what works from 30 artists, not of the same quality, I would think that five out of the 10 would choose the same artist. Yes. When you judge quality, it's not necessarily about what you like, but that you see there is something in it which goes beyond, as you said, just decoration or just it looks like what has been there all the time already. Do you seek that challenge? Is that that you feel drawn to works that you like instantly or do they have to be a little bit more hardcore, a little bit more challenging so you have to really work yourself into it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's more or less instant, actually. And instant can mean that it will occupy you for a longer time. Mm-hmm. That's actually what makes art good. When you still enjoy looking at it and thinking about it years later. Yeah, a lot of the art you own, you have to think about it because it's in storage. You don't see it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a shame. That's very true. And and post-COVID again, I forget quite a bit of the art that I have. Yeah, I should have more space to hang. Was that the main reason that you took this, I mean, really big challenge to build your own museum, to be able to show more of the art you own? What is behind that, that you felt the urge? Because it's actually a sharing. It's open to the public. Yeah. 
it's, it's probably a severe case of insanity. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, you want to show it, yes, and you want to share it, and you want to see it properly too. It's really difficult. I mean, it's a question that I ask myself most days. Yeah, why do this? And I get asked by my family also. But they do it themselves. Well, they do it themselves. Yeah, they also sort of question my sanity. I don't know. Once you've done it, I think it's like many things in life that you do. You do because you you've told everybody that you're going to do them, so you do them. Like a friend of mine was telling me that he said he was going to go to the North Pole, and he said it so often that he basically went, not because he really wanted to, but because he's, <laughs> he'd said it so often. Um, okay, so you think it's like a perpetual mobile. Once you started it, you can't stop it. That's probably true, yes. That's also the thing about the collection. Uh, unless you run out of money, which is something that happens quite often to a lot of collectors, you sort of continue buying because you also feel that you want to make the collection whole. I don't think anybody ever said, that's it. I've now reached the goal. I've got the whole series and that's it. I don't need any more. I think actually there are people who kind of like tell themselves that's it because they start doubting or whatever. But in your case, it's this house, it's a public collection. It is, yes, part of the cultural landscape of the city and it's growing all the time. So I think suddenly... You have your own passion, you have all of that, but suddenly also responsibility comes into it. I feel that I'm being subtly manipulated by you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you mean because of the yeah, keep on, keep on doing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have no intention of stopping right now anyway. But on the other hand, I don't want to force my children to absolutely continue. I think that all the things that you, you make people do uh, are not necessarily clever even though it is part of the cultural landscape. Then we come back to the question from the beginning, because you are the child of your parents who collected. You don't want to force your kids into that. I wasn't forced either, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so each who goes into collecting in a, in a profound way has to find a reason for themselves, or there is some inner spark why you do it. Yeah, it's more of an inner spark than a reason, because like I said, I have never, I've never actually met anybody that says, The reason I collect is because uh, in memory of my grandmother who used to paint or whatever, I don't know. You know, it, nobody's ever told me a reason. I haven't ever been able to tell myself, so I don't know. You know, maybe we should do a survey. The reason why you collect. You know, if it's real collecting, there is everybody I know who has like a... It's an inner sense. Yes. It's a, it's a passion. It's a possession sometimes. Yeah, it goes much deeper. You said in one interview, for example, that you think that collecting is something very, very human, that some people start collecting those little soccer players' images, or some people start collecting stamps, and other people collect art. Yeah, everybody is a potential art collector. It's just a question of the <laughs> <a> wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's true but there is you know the wallet can be smaller and and, and bigger yeah, no. and you are especially known that you collect really in a wide range from yes names we all know from famous artists but also from really young artists and as far as i can judge it you never collect with your ears yeah i wouldn't say that because i i, I hear from other people that this is Definitely, that is good. You listen to people, but then you look at it yourself. Yeah, of course, I always look at it myself. I've never bought anything without looking at anything. No, of course. But you can't say that you're away from other people. 
No, you're not in Ireland. I just thought that you don't work with a consultant. You just choose, even if it's a very young and unknown artist, if you think it says something to you, you just still choose to collect this. This makes the collection a very unique collection. And also, it's important, I think, that it's based in Düsseldorf because there are connections to Düsseldorf. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, and I always thought that I was in Miami a few years ago and I, I wasn't really very thrilled. A, I hate air conditionings, and B, the collections that I saw were of very high quality, but I, I really felt there was no connection at all to the collectors. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was all the Rhineland. Uh, it was all Polka, Richter, Kuhn. When he was in the Rhineland, he, he would probably disagree with me now. Kippenberger, all these works that sort of essentially come from our region and artists like Zero Artists or whatever. And I really didn't see the connection Apart from the fact that it was a great collection, it was worth a lot, but I didn't really see the connection to the collectors, except for in a very few instances where they were just collecting American artists. But most of the collections that I saw that we were so proud of was stuff that I didn't really connect with the person. I've repeated myself twice now. Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, that's the same in many museums that you see abstract expressionism everywhere, that you see all over the world mostly, or at least in the Western countries, you see a certain canon, which is yeah. very challenged right now. I mean, this canon is challenged and it's going to be changing. And are you also, as a person, as a collector, developing and changing and, and learning? Yeah, developing always, I would say. Changing, not necessarily. Maybe my collection has become more diverse. I was acutely aware of the fact that, or actually I asked, my curator to find out how many female artists opposed to male artists we had. And at the first count, it was something just over 30%. I would have sworn it was 50%. And now we've moved up to over 40%. For a while, I, I think I paid attention to, to try and buy more female artists. But I really, I've discarded that again now. And to be honest with you, I don't really care about sex or gender or color or place of origin so much as about the art. Having said that, I started collecting Chinese art about 15 years ago or something like that, and I really haven't continued with it because I think it's just such a huge market that we're going to have to really, really, really concentrate. That market's the wrong word, but it's such a huge foray into it that I really haven't continued with it because I, I thought it was too much because you have to apply yourself and really know what you're talking about. This is something that, that it goes much beyond just liking things. You have to know what you're faced with and you have to know the cultural background. Still, I think it's an important the question of gender equality and diversity in the back of one's mind. I don't think you can completely neglect that. Yeah, no, I, I don't. No, but, I, but I, what I have to say is that I buy the majority, the vast majority of the works that I buy from galleries. Mm-hmm. If I buy something from an auction, it's never an artist that I haven't seen in a gallery before, mm -hmm. to 98%. Basically, that's my limitation, I would say. Either artists that belong to the Academy in Dusseldorf that are younger that haven't joined a gallery yet, or artists that are in some gallery that I see. And where do I see galleries? I go to the large art fairs. I used to go to the smaller art fairs, but simply I don't have the time to do it now, nor the energy. And that's my limitation, I guess. So galleries in Berlin and in Dusseldorf, and when I spend time in London or in Madrid or in Paris or whatever, the galleries I see there. 
or anywhere around the world. I haven't been to the States for a long time now. So it's up to the galleries to present a more diverse program. Basically, yes. Mm -hmm. Which I think they do, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you're also the head of the board of the Friends of the Kunstpalast in Düsseldorf. And you also do other things like funding residencies, supporting artists, also donations to big institutions, etc., from you and your family. This is far beyond your private collection. What is the drive behind that? Well, we had a residency program for 15 years, which we've actually stopped this year because I sort of felt somewhat disconnected to it. And I also felt that I was simply, I was overstretched. Mm -hmm. Not so much only financially, even though it was quite a bit of money, but it, it was the fact that I simply feel that there should be somebody else also kind of chiming in or doing something else and doing other programs. So I'm really basically concentrating on Filara and on our own collection and on the Kunstpalast. And in the Kunstpalast, it's been in a, actually, I didn't really want to become chairman of the board there. I, I was sort of shanghaied into it, and um, <laughs> it's been surprisingly uh, good. And I, I really have the feeling now that everybody in the team that, of the board is doing something, which is really, really great. It wasn't like that before. And, and I think the biggest motivator, as always, is success. And we are extremely successful because we've grown quite rapidly and substantially. And we've been able to acquire funds and That is fun, basically. You know, I mean, once you're successful and you have money that you can spend on art, favorite pastime for a collector, then it really, it really becomes a fun to do and, and meaningful also because you can sort of try and leave a stamp on the period that you've been active in. That's the motivation, yeah. It is really, it is a motivation. I think that if, you know, I would be missing my mark if I didn't, I don't want to sound arrogant, but, you know, it's sort of, You do spend a lot of time with it and you think that you know something about it. So, you know, you can try and, and if you're successful in any way, then you can sort of try and leave a mark and influence what is bought. In the end, it's in the final count, it's the museum director's choice, but can make suggestions. And if you have the money to back up the suggestions, then, yeah, that's good. It's a kind of teamwork and everybody relies on the support of the other in many ways, like in the art world anyway, I think we're all in the same boat. But watching you for a while now, I find it really interesting that the idea of being part of a community, the idea of also supporting this community as well in Düsseldorf as, for example, the museums in Israel, that goes far beyond any private endeavor. So that was something I, I was always curious about because there must be some, I don't know, something where you think that art can give something to people, art can give something to society, which can't be given by other things, other luxuries, other entertainments. Yeah, I think it's essential. And I always, I think what sort of worries me, or doesn't worry me, but what I would like to achieve is to have a higher participation in art. Israel is sort of like a byproduct because it's the home of my mother and my wife. And my parents have been supporting the Israel Museums substantially for quite a while. And I feel connected. But it's not really as important for me if, as Dusseldorf, as my hometown. And in my hometown, I feel that I really want to make a difference. If I can, I want to sort of get the whole city to support the museum. I encouraged a co-relationship with Fortuna Dusseldorf, with our local 
football team that for some weird reason I am a big supporter of. And, you know, I want to, to have the city feel connected to itself. And it really is saddening because I feel that Dusseldorf is, I've said this so often before, I feel stupid repeating it, but I'll say it again for your blog because I really feel that we are, we are an epicenter of art. You know, if you sort of draw a line around Dusseldorf, 50 kilometers uh, circumference, you'll, you'll find so many world-class museums and so much, you know, so, so many great operas and ballet and concert houses. And, and it really is a shame that this is not actually seen further than the local region. And this is one of the things that I, I've always missed that we sort of put ourselves together with the other cities in Essen and Cologne and Duisburg and Wuppertal and, and Bochum and all the other cities that are around and, you know, sort of put our weight on the table. Yeah, form like a Rhine region. Yeah, it's a bit like the EU. It doesn't really get its weight together. It was different. I think we're just the, the generation after the generation where everything was happening in Dusseldorf and Cologne because everything changed so much since then. The world has changed, not only in Germany when Berlin came on the plate, but like globally, we have art now visible from countries and regions that hasn't been visible before, which is great. So in that, probably we have to find a new way for us and, and our generation and the generation, the younger generation of artists also. That's true. And everybody fights for himself, you know. So, I mean, our region has to sort of stick together a bit more because, I mean, Berlin generally has fantastic galleries and it has two or three good museums. But in comparison, it really is... Apart from the galleries, it's nothing, you know, art-wise. <laughs> anyway, we could do more. And to achieve that, that's you know, what I'm trying to do in my little part here for the Kunstballers. Yeah, and with your collection. You also, in Filara, you put a lot of the exhibitions, the change in exhibitions, which are not necessarily from your collection, you, you put in the hands of curators. And you had a chief curator for a long time, and now a new chief curator came. And you really trust those women with what they're doing and leave them really to it, which is also unusual, I think, for a private collection. No, I don't think so. I wouldn't say that. If you see my friend Stefan Hildebrandt in Leipzig, he does exactly the same, and Kai Zehn does exactly the same. I mean, everybody's involved, and everybody says, yes, I like that, and no collection is done without my go. Mm -hmm. And without my knowledge, we do discuss everything ahead of time, but I'm, obviously the implementation and the ideas and come from my curators, and I'm happy about that, and I can't do everything. I have this day job also. You have enough work. You say yourself, you anyway can't show it all, but still you chose to invite other artists or to have curated shows and all of that which are not necessarily part of your collection. So what is the aim behind that? Or what, why, why do you do that? Yeah, apart from a few shows which were made up almost entirely out of artists that weren't part of the collection, but that would be about 10% of the shows, I would say. The majority of the shows did have a connection to the collection. You know, it's just to show the novel, to juxtapose the existing with the new. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't say that we're any different from any. Other house, it was a bit like a Kunsthalle showing different works, except that some of the works come from the own collection. Mm, it's true. Still, it is privately funded, so every endeavor has to be paid for privately. 
I think that this is quite a big commitment. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Remind me and I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know you won't. I just want to clarify also for people that probably are listening that these things are not to be taken for granted. No. And we actually, we were taking 10 euros from visitors mm -hmm. before. And I thought that that was a fair price and uh, people would be happy to pay it. And it kind of, it was a barrier and a lot of people didn't come and see us. And now uh, we've changed to uh, pay what you wish as far as taking for granted. As it turns out, people are much more generous than I thought because we generate much more money than we did before, about three or four times as much because simply more people come and then people are actually happy to pay once they've been or when they come in or I don't know, generally when they leave. That's, that's very nice to see. Yeah, and that's also an interesting reaction. So if you have a rule or you want to force people, they're not really happy about it. But if you say, hey, it's up to you, they have become more generous. Yeah. That is something which could also probably be a recipe for, for bigger things, to give people more freedom to choose in certain things. Yeah, it's an idea for an upbringing also. I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. It's liberal. Yes, and it liberates and it shows trust into the people, yeah. you know. And so they probably come up to that trust. They will be up to it, which which I find really interesting. You just, actually, you just mentioned the collection of your friend Steffen Hildebrand in Leipzig. Yeah. As far as I know, actually, for you to really go into your own collectorship, you had to first leave Dusseldorf and get into it in, in Leipzig. Is that true? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I had to be in Leipzig at the time. That's when I started collecting. I didn't have to leave Dusseldorf. It was just it was just a coincidence that I was there. I probably would have started collecting if I'd been in Dusseldorf too, but I would have concentrated on other things primarily. Oh, okay. I had this theory. It was like this, you know, sometimes it's just like that. You, you step out of your upbringings and your hometown, and then you find your own way, and then you can come back to it. Perhaps it was that, but I don't know whether I wouldn't have flugewerden is the German expression. Yeah, no, but I, I don't think so. It was just the answer that I saw at the time that I liked coincided with the so-called Leipzig school, which doesn't exist in this form, but has sort of become a name. Yeah, and some paintings of Neurauch, like earlier ones you have in your home. Is there a difference how you choose the works you have at home and the works that are in the, in the museum? Not really, no. I would have loved to have hung everything at home, but I, I can't because there's not enough space. No, I, there isn't really a difference. You know, sometimes you buy things and you, you think, oh, there's going to be this show like what a work by Alison Katz, which was, I think it's a whale. I'm not entirely sure. And I thought about breathing water, drinking air when I bought it. And I thought, oh, this will fit well in the next show. But mm -hmm. generally, we don't buy for home or for but some things are when my wife chooses with me, which is more often than not nowadays, she always wants everything for home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought just, you know, you have some like favorite pieces that you like to see like every day at home and you don't, you don't want to put no, in storage. No, it's not like that. No. No. That was just my theory. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that probably if I saw it in the storage, but you know, artists that really haven't succeeded that well and that are in storage, if one was to look at things economically purely economically, one would say it was a mistake to buy it. 
these are the ones that are you say so sell it just take that storage space but i i really don't see a reason in doing it i I like the works generally and success influences the the way you look at things yeah if the value increases you generally have a good feeling about it but still you said in another interview that you see that investment discussion of people that buy art for investment you have a particular opinion about that yeah no i do i've never bought purely as investment but i've always said that i've never disconnected myself from the idea that it is an investment after a certain amount of money that you have mm-hmm. bought and if something seems too expensive at the time when you're buying it then don't buy it because you know sometimes it's just ridiculous yeah and i i look at the front pages of, of certain auction houses and you see all these artists that you've never heard of before in your life even though you spend a lot of time in galleries and museums and whatever and you think to yourself what is it is this a hype about something which is going to be gone in two years or three years and it'd be completely crazy to buy it and still it's and sold. it's still sold but i think often if you look at it five or ten years later then you'll see that it's not really held its ground or it just destroyed the career of an artist often yeah young artists you know yeah. the hype yeah yeah that can also happen that you're hyped up and then you're pushed down yeah. again and that is very difficult for a career yeah yeah and and you don't have the time and the chance to develop your work properly because art sometimes just need times to come really in into its full power and it's not necessarily when you're 22 except you're Frank Stella or so was he famous at 22 oh well he did some i think some of his most brilliant work at a very very young age yeah he did the shaped canvas works at a very young age the works which he got famous with beautiful what, what I like most about him. So that there are those exceptions, those people that yeah, are very, very hype young. was a different thing at that time. Oh, yeah. There was just a group of men, a couple of men, and a couple of men that had galleries or dealers. It was not comparable to today. It's a completely different discussion. Yeah. I think so. And if I may ask, so you're, you're not selling work? Nope. No. No. That's what you told me. You never no, sell. No, I sold two pieces. Just to prove to myself that I could actually make money if I sold something. <laughs> and did it yeah, work? no, I made money, but I spent it immediately. Actually, I didn't spend it immediately. I spent it before I had it on art. On art, inevitably. <laughs> so, as you said, you don't buy for investment, and you keep everything you have in your collection, and you are not ever flipping anything. No. No. I don't think I, I would be successful at that. If I look at the auction magazines, I rarely find works that I've bought. It doesn't worry me at all because, I, like I said, I, I often think that it's a, it's a long-term thing and B, uh, I have no intention of selling anyway. So, yeah. But the only thing that I ask myself is whether I should not sort of get rid of some things that I see somewhat more critically today and or whether I should just leave them in storage or, you know, then I think to myself, if I sell it, I'll just get half the price of what I paid for it. And what's the point in that? I don't know. It's a it's a difficult discussion. I've talked about it with my team often and my family. And and I really don't like the idea of selling anything. Mm-hmm. But perhaps I should. Maybe it would make sense to clear up things. I mean, the collection, as far as I can see, and as you also said, the more you see, the more you learn, the more you are knowledge develops so the collection must have developed in the past decade theoretically yes yeah but only time will tell 
insofar well, <laughs> whether I have really learned something or not. Yeah, but could you pin it down? Do you see differently now in a way? Like when you first had your first Leipziger Malerschule paintings? Actually, those I like very much still. There are some works, I don't want to name the artists, but where I bought it and in retrospect, I look at it and I think the view was some superficial and the works are a bit superficial. So what does a work have to have now that intrigues you? In some ways, I don't want to name the artist. It makes it more difficult to keep this anonymous though. But I, I, I won't name the artist because I think that's very, very horrible to do that. And I always find that also it's kind of a, a hurting thing to do when large collectors sell off, simply junk off their art. And I feel really bad for the artist mm -hmm. because it's, you know, and this is the basically the last thing that they need in their career. They're not succeeding and then they get sold at junk prices. And then, you know, uh, that really kills them entirely. It kills all their motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, but it, it's a quality in the work that basically I, I don't see, which I thought I saw. Yeah, but what quality do you see or do you feel when, when you think, yeah, that's great, I would like to have that? Like I said, it's 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 impossible to for me to describe. I don't know. I would make a shitty gallerist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd buy all the stuff myself. <laughs> yeah, actually, sometimes that's really tempting. <laughs> yeah, it's quality as far as content or, or the way something is made. I saw you looking at work, and I always had the feeling it's not a pure intellectual process. It's more than that. Well, there is no such thing. You can't separate gut feelings from intellectual approaches because mm -hmm. a gut feeling is nothing else but your brain telling your body what to react to. You know, everything goes through the brain. Mm. Don't you think so? I mean, unless you close your eyes and touch a sculpture, there's no other way that you can. And even that goes through your brain, of course. Well, as far as I know, there is a science about that actually the gut The colon has as much nerve cells as the brain, and that is, has kind of like its independent brain, and the two communicate together. So I think, yeah, it's, I would say the whole organism is involved. Oh, really? That's interesting. I, I've, I've heard people uh, saying that you're thinking with another part of your body, um, but which I won't. Yeah, but that's a different one, probably. Um, yes. But I've never heard anybody <laughs> saying you're thinking with your gut. If we reduce thinking just to thoughts in, in words, you know, oh, this is good, this is great. Yes, then you don't think with you your You call gut. it instinct. Yes. Yeah. But all these thoughts, are, I mean, everything is neurologically mechanical in a way. And then if you, if you have bought it, is there a moment of satisfaction that you now know it's mine? Yeah. Uh, or is it already on to the next No, there thing? is a moment of satisfaction. No. Yeah, the moment of satisfaction gets eaten up very quickly when you think about how you're going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, but that's just a consequence. What I really liked once is you were asked that somebody said, like when by buying art, you're supporting young artists. And you said, no, 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 it's not a support. Support is something else. It's kind of like auf Augenhöhe. Yeah. It's like, like an equal deal. You know, I get something and they get something. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I don't like the German word is Metzenartentum. It's, it's a supporter of the art. It's like charity. Charity. And it isn't charity. Uh, and to say that one is charitable, unless you think that the work is shit that you're buying and you buy it anyway, just to support the young artist, 
which once or twice I might have done. But generally, I've only bought things that I found good. And otherwise, I've made excuses not to buy it. Because the artists have done their work and they get paid for their work. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this is not charity. Exactly, yeah. No, you're, you're getting something. Yes, exactly. I think that's an important discussion because yeah. very, very often it's about like our supporting and the poor artists and oh, what do they do? But I think the most honest way is just to say, yeah, you do something and somebody else buys it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes at, at charity auctions, not in Germany or maybe only at the PIN in Munich, prices go higher than they, they normally should because, because people want to give to charity. Yes, that's a different thing. Yeah. But generally, I would say that people just pay a fair price for what they think is fair. Either they want something desperately or if they want, you know, buying established art or if they buy from young artists and they pay whatever the young artists ask. And some people buy at the Art Academy without knowing what they're doing. And sometimes they're right and often they're wrong. And they feel that they're getting a great deal because they're leaving out the galleries and they don't realize what work the galleries are doing for them. Yeah, that's a whole different discussion. We could do a whole podcast on that, the misunderstanding of the works of galleries, actually. I know that you're close to galleries and that you buy mostly work with galleries, what you just said. But let's go just as kind of like one of the last questions back to the beginning. So what would you wish for the art world in Dusseldorf, the Kunstakademie, Filar, the galleries, the whole scene? What, what would you wish to happen for them? Like I said, more recognition internationally nationally, internationally, locally, on every level, mm. basically. What do you think we could do for that? Well, I, I often try to persuade the former mayor, and I haven't talked to the current one about it, but I think it would make sense to try and be a bit more global in our advertising instead of, I don't know, maybe paying for advertising in the United States and in art magazines or in French, English, Spanish, whatever magazines or, or magazines in Singapore or Hong Kong, I don't know wherever it counts, just to advertise globally and with everything that we've got, just to show what there is and what's going on. Thank you so much, Gil. You're very welcome. Please find links and a text about my guest in the show notes. For more information on Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast, follow us on Instagram at Voices on Art and at van underscore horn underscore Dusseldorf Visit our website van-horn.net and subscribe to Voices on Art on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect. <laughs>